Hey, let's get in the Word today. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about this message. I think, uh, I think it'll be a blessing to you. So, it's called Thanksgiving, a lifestyle, not a holiday. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 is our jumping off point. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some of you uh, worrying about, am I in God's will? Well, pretty simple to get in God's will. Start, start giving thanks continually, and you will be in the center of God's will. That's what the scripture tells us, right? Now, uh, Thanksgiving is... Perhaps, I would say it this way, so as not to sound dismissal or disrespectful for Christmas and Easter because they represent something very deeply spiritual within, in that they celebrate our Lord Jesus. But in terms of secular holidays, Easter is my, I mean, Thanksgiving is my favorite. It's, um, it's about food, family, football, Fellowship, it's, um, I mean, th- there's not much you can say. I mean, it doesn't, have some of the, it doesn't have some of the stressors of Christmas. Christmas is wonderful, amazing, but it has, it has a lot of stressors. You know, you don't get the right gift, or, or you don't get what you wanted, or, or just uh, a lot of, ten- there's a lot of uh, all the Christmas shopping you have to do, and all the, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, like you don't have to go to four different Thanksgiving events. In the two weeks leading up, you just have Thanksgiving. You just get up Thanksgiving morning, and 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 you even get a, a you you even have permission to take a nap based on uh, the rumor that there's a chemical in <laughs> turkey meat that puts you to sleep. The, the only thing you really got to worry about is uh, the only challenge is avoiding uh, right-left political discussions with politically polarized families. You know, you, you want to keep woke uh, niece Nancy from having a cultural conversation with QAnon-adjacent Char- Uncle Charlie. <laughs> Other than that, it's a perfect holiday. Thanksgiving holiday is a time when most of us will pause. I, I, I imagine you do. You pause at some point, probably before you pray over the meal, for a few minutes to give thanks and count your blessings. But that might actually be revealing if it means you haven't been preoccupied with thankfulness for the last 12 months. It might be revealing that you go, oh, we need to give thanks for all that God has done. Our text says rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's not a holiday. That's a lifestyle. That's not something you do one day of the week. I think uh, uh, Pastor John Smith said it well. Thankfulness should be more than a holiday tradition. It should be the soundtrack of our daily lives. You know, uh, there's a, a, a vast difference in doing something occasionally and doing it regularly or doing it daily. Uh, I like to play the piano, but I, I really lost my passion for it over the years after as I got involved in administrating a church and pastoring the church. I, I really lost my passion for it and did, hardly ever played. Uh, somebody would ask me, maybe I would be at something, and so play a song, you know, when it, I, I kind of play songs from a whole different 
era than what we're doing today. And so uh, I, I, I can play a little, uh, I call it uh, sanctified beer hall music is kind of my style. I can't, I'm sorry, I, I, grew, up, I grew up listening to uh, Floyd Kramer, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Little Richard, you know, so those are my influences, <laughs> uh, chubby checkers, you know. And, uh, and so I, I used to sit around and listen. I'd listen to the record. I'd figure out the runs they were doing. And, and Jimmy Swagger, Jimmy Swagger, some of you don't know who that is, but he, he was a huge influence. And I got to meet him one time when I was a little kid. And so I was like, uh, I, I thought, you know, my mother sent me for piano lessons. Me and my brother, we would, we would, she would put us in a taxi. We'd go out in the country to this very elderly lady. In a, I mean, it was like the Adams family house. I'm not kidding. My, my brother and I would, would tell the taxi driver, just take your time. If you want to pick up somebody else, it's fine. And we just hated it, you know. And, uh, and uh, so when I went and heard, my mother and dad took me to a, this big meeting with Jimmy Swaggart when I was 12. And I heard Jimmy Swaggart play, and he played like, he played like Jerry Lee. He's Jerry Lee's cousin. And he played like that. I said, that's how I want to play the piano. That's playing. That's, that's good. I like that. So anyway, I kind of abandoned it. Then during the pandemic, I started playing every day during the lock-in. I started playing every day. And instead of just occasionally, I started playing every day. And, uh, you know, now I play piano. I sit down just for a few minutes every day. I probably drive Sherry crazy because I sit down a few minutes a day and I play the piano. And I found it. I found uh, it's so different when you play every day. It's so different. I've gotten, I actually have a passion back to, I'm enjoying playing the piano for myself. I'm not playing for crowds, or I never will play for crowds, but I'm playing for myself and God. I worship God now with music, just, just me and the piano, right? So it's a big difference when you do something differently now, but I, or daily or regularly than when you do it once in a while. I, now, I'm not saying... Please hear me. I'm not saying just suck it up, white knuckle it, and start being thankful. Start exuding more positive energy. Okay? Let's stand for the dismissal. I told you what to do, now go do it. No. That's not sustainable. That's why the law of Moses failed. The law of Moses failed because it was just do it or else. <laughs> and even though the threat of punishment was huge, would you think, think about it. Think about the law of Moses. I mean, these people would get stoned if they picked up a stick on a Sunday. But you know they still did it. Read the Old Testament. They did everything that was punishable by death. They had a clear command. They were told not to do it, and you'll die if you do it, and they still could not help themselves. They could not sustain obedience based on punishment. They could not sustain obedience based on a command and a threat. And I'm not saying, I mean, if you're going to be a parent, you have to still do that. You have to still give commands with threats. I heard about a woman who, who told her kid, her kid was, was banging on the cabinets 
with pots and pans or whatever he could find. And she said, if you do that again, I'm going to throw you out the window. <laughs> so he did it again. She opens up the window, tosses it out the window. She knew that it had snowed a lot and there was a big snow bank that he would land in. <laughs> she made a believer out of it, right? But generally speaking, obeying commands, practicing a new perspective requires a new perspective. While there's something to be said for simply building the practice of thanksgiving as a discipline, thanksgiving as a lifestyle, in some respects, is a discipline. However, I'm not sure hallelujah anyhow is sustainable. There's, a, there's this wonderful story in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8, from the life of the prophet Elisha. And Elisha's was, the servant was concerned and worried one morning when he woke up to see the prophet's house surrounded by this group of people called the Arameans. These enemy, these enemy forces were surrounding the house. And Elisha was unfazed. And he prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. And when the servant looked again, he saw that the enemy was surrounded on all sides by horses and chariots of fire from God. The enemy was temporarily blinded and, and, and routed to the king of Israel. Once the servant received his divine perspective, he no longer complained about the enemy. He found something to be thankful for. Here's the text. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Now, unfortunately, you're probably not going to receive a supernatural vision like that. But it doesn't mean you don't have evidence that in your most stressful and difficult times, your adversaries aren't outnumbered by your unseen allies in the providence of God. By the heavenly reinforcements and God's sovereign care, God's angelic protectors in the mighty hand of God. Look, look at the Word of God. From this vast treasure of, scri of Scripture, you can, you can gather proof that you're never outnumbered. You're never outnumbered by your adversaries or outmatched by your adversity, ever. I'm talking about changing your perspective. I'm talking about not just white-knuckle praise, hallelujah anyhow, but finding a reason to say hallelujah, trying to, finding a reason to praise when you get to know your God. You also have the testimony of 600 or 6,000 recorded years of history in the lives of God's people in the church of Jesus Christ. You have your own stories too about when you succeeded in spite of all the odds. Look at Mike Cordry over here. It's an incredible story of, what did you have, 14 felony counts? 14 felony counts. And how many years ago was that? Long time ago, but but you probably would just be getting. You probably should you be just getting out of Walpole about now. Two thousand twenty. So you'd be out. 
maybe two or three years, or, or you know, that's minimum. And if you haven't heard his story, we'll, we'll have him tell it again one of these days, and it's an amazing story of what God did. And maybe your story's not quite that dramatic, but you didn't go around holding up uh, pharmacies with a broken pellet gun. <laughs> it's just, one of the great things about the church is, and, and I, 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 looked, I looked around at you that are praising God this morning. And I know some of yours, I know some of your dirt. <laughs> I know some of your failures. Even better, I know mine. But we're here today. You know, thinking about our lives and our stories. We don't tell our stories enough, but we, we've got to do that. We've got to tell our stories more. Uh, I remember one year here at Bethany, we, I had three men that were all either, uh, they were either owners of companies or CEO of, of major companies. And they were all generous givers. They, were all t- they all paid a tithe. They gave God a tenth and they gave it through this ministry. Their combined giving was $130,000 a year. And, you know, just uh, not the kind of guys who ever, ever, ever pressured me with that. You know, I'll take my big bucks out of here if you don't do this or that. Never like that at all. Great, uh, great church uh, members. And, uh, they all moved away at the same time. They all got transferred to different places, different states at the same time. I, 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 you know, of course, uh, I'm human, and, and I, don't, I don't just look at you as dollar signs, but there's a reality. The bills have to be paid, right? And I was like, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. You know what? I looked at the financial report the next year. The next year, our financial report, our general fund income was greater than it was the year before. I, I don't know how it happened. I didn't, we didn't walk, have three other executives walk in. I don't know how it happened. And I could tell you that story has repeated over and over and over again. Coming to this church, Sherry and I came to this church in 1988. Uh, we had almost, we had very little money. No promise of any money. There were two couples in the little building downtown Milford. Our, our car blew up in Providence. My, my brother-in-law, I remember, we, we, I, I don't think I even had AAA because we pulled it down 95 with a nylon rope in his, behind his car. And oil was leaking everywhere. And we had two little kids. Jason and Christy were little bitty kids then. This is in 1988. And one thing about going to war with my wife, and I don't mean that, I don't mean it that way. I go to war with her. <laughs> going to war with, by your side, uh, she's a great woman of faith. She's got more faith than I do. And I still look back at that, Sherry, and I, I, I'm amazed that you were not, you never panicked. And Sherry never said, what are we going to do? And not once. Not once did she ever uh, express any worry. And uh, I'll never forget uh, 
one of the guys in the church, I said, I said, I gotta, I gotta have a car. And he had a friend in the Cape who had a car dealership, and there was a car there. Uh, it was just a perfect car for our family. It was, it, I think it was called a, uh, I think it was called a Dodge Colt. It was kind of like a station wagon SUV type of deal. So it was just perfect for all the ki- the two kids and us. And this, it had been driven by like a diplomat's wife in Washington D.C. And that guy on the Cape, that Christian man, made it possible for us to get in that car and, and have that car. And I, I wish if I could, I could go on and on about how God took care of us. It, well, and, and I know some of you heard these stories, but some of, a lot of you are new. I, I remember one time during that year, uh, Jason had, they, this was back before the, the religion of safetyism. The religion of safetyism had not come to America yet. And they had a fire pole at the, at the Burger King in Medway that a kid could go up to the top. You remember that? You remember that? A kid could go up to the top and slide down to the floor. And so Jay goes and slides, but he didn't, he didn't grip the pole. He just, bam! <laughs> and so he began to be in pain. He, he cracked his hip bone. We had no health insurance. We had no health insurance and no money. And I had gotten a job, so I was working. We were, we were eating and all that stuff, but we had no, there was no money. So finally one day, I'm at work, and Sherry calls me and said, he's just in pain. I said, take him to the doctor, take him to the emergency room. We'll figure it out. She takes him to the emergency room, and they discovered a cracked bone, and they, they injected some resin in there, and... Uh, they hand her the bill. She walked out, went by the mailbox at our little church on the way home, and there was a check in the mailbox for just a few dollars more than the bill, and it said, this is for your health care needs. It was, a, it was a person who had, they, later they started attending the church, but wasn't attending the church. Knew nothing. He knew nothing about this situation. And, and we could tell you, I could stand here for an hour and tell you these stories. And you know what else? You're still alive and kicking. How did you make it? What's your story? And what about the fact that the plan of the ages is proceeding right on schedule? in spite of the relentless efforts of humankind to replace God as the controllers of civilization. It's going right on schedule. I don't believe you can ignore the Jews right now as central to God's plan and proof of the sovereignty of God over the affairs of humankind. The history of Israel, Charles Spurgeon said, the history of Israel is the stage on which all the acts of the drama of redemption are played out. I'm talking today about... To have a new, to, to, to live a different perspective, you've got to have a new perspective. Think about it. Think about the Jews for a minute. There are 8 billion people in the world. There are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. There are 15 million Jews. Jews represent 0.1875% of the world's population. But their, their centrality on the world stage and ascendancy in the world makes no logical sense. 
Google, Oracle, Microsoft, Dell, Qualcomm, Facebook are just a few of the high-tech companies founded and started by Jews. 23% of Nobel Peace Prizes, or Nobel Prizes, period, are given to Jews. Less than 1% of the population of the world. They own 23% of Nobel Prizes. 5% of history great inventors, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, are Jews. 21% of Ivy League students are Jews. 50% of Ivy League presidents are Jews. 51% of Pulitzer nonfiction written by Jews. 33% of the world's symphony conductors are Jews. 37% of Academy Award directors are Jews. And 31% of Forbes 400 countries are, co companies are owned by Jews. You can, you, you can get all talking about the politics and Netanyahu and once he, he's done or he hasn't done. But I'm telling you, Jews are God's timepiece and they are, they are a revelation of the power, the preserving power of God. And you can't deny it. Now here's the clincher for changing your perspective. The Bible says, by faith, we are all, someone finish it for me, children of Abraham. <laughs> By faith, we are all children of Abraham. Paul says we've been grafted in. We are the chosen people of God also because we've been grafted in to, to the Jewish nation, the people of Abraham, by the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and the ascendancy of Jesus to the throne of God when he opened up the door for every human being who would confess Christ to become God's child and God's chosen people. Now, a lifestyle of praise doesn't mean no complaining and no lamenting. Some of you have are, are, are been resisting the whole sermon. He's going to tell me, I can't ever, I've got to stop complaining. I can't complain anymore. No. No. Uh, One-third of the Psalms, I've said this many, many times, one-third of the Psalms are laments. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. So God doesn't prohibit our complaining. Living a life of thankfulness doesn't mean you don't have a problem with anything that's going on around your life and it doesn't mean you can't talk about it. In fact, between the phrase rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances is the, is the phrase pray continually. So between rejoicing, it's like the bookends, the bookends of your trajectory of life, the bookends of your communication in life, the bookends are rejoicing and praise, but in the middle is intercession. In the middle is struggle. In the middle is prayer and complaining to God. This clearly means our conversation includes complaining. Negative assessments, grief, frustration. The Bible is actually a chronicle of godly complaints, including from God. A thanksgiving lifestyle means the events of our lives, as I said a moment ago, are bookended by rejoicing and giving thanks. A lifestyle of thanksgiving means we always look 
for God, we have problems, but we look for God in our problems. I said, we, we have problems, but we look for God in our problem. Uh, a Thanksgiving lifestyle means, means we, we, we have God's promises that no matter what happens, we will always find Him. We will always find Him. We used to sing a song, standing somewhere in the shadow, you'll find Jesus. It means the Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted. Now what does that tell you? What does that tell you God is near to the brokenhearted? It tells me two things. It, at least, maybe more, but at least two things. It tells me the bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. And the good, then the good news. The bad news is your heart is going to get broken. That's the bad news. Something, somebody is going to break your heart if you're a human. But it tells the other thing. God is near. If you maintain that perspective, you will give thanks. The Lord said, here's a, here's a great passage. Almost every Christian, who's, if you've walked with the Lord any length of time, you know Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and hope. That's King James. Which for years we interpreted that to mean if you lose your job on Friday, you're going to get a better one on Monday. <laughs> but actually, it was God telling Israel, you're getting ready to go into 70 years of captivity in Babylon. But I'm not going to abandon you. I know the plans I have for you. This is going to end up, this is going to end well. But verse 13, most people don't even read down to verse 13 because they just get, go away rejoicing after they read verse 11. And they say, honey, you have nothing to worry about. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> Verse 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Now, where, where, where were they going to be seeking? In, in luxury, in beauty, in success? No. You're going to be seeking me in Babylon. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go into captivity. And in your captivity, in your, the most negative situation that as a Jew you could possibly imagine to be, have your entire country transported from, from a country that theoretically worships God to a country that worships Baal and Ashtaroth complete with human sacrifices. And you're going to be, and you're going to be serving that government, and you're going to be serving that culture, and you're going to live your life out in Babylon, and in that stress, in that problem, in that difficulty, you're going to find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Um, you will develop a lifestyle of praise when you learn to find God where you least want to look. John Colbert is a talk show guy, lost his father and two of his brothers when they were killed in a plane crash when he was 10. And uh, I, he lately, in the last couple of years, he's According to his words, I think he, I, think, I don't know exactly how he put it, but he's returned to his Catholic faith, right? And 
Here's a brief transcript of an interview with Anderson Cooper on grief and gratefulness. And somehow he, he hit the nail on the head in what, what happens to us when we, learn, when we learn to find God where we least want to look. Here's the, quote, here's the opening of this part of the transcript. Cooper, you told an interviewer that you have learned to, in your words, love the thing that I most wish had not happened. You went on to say, what punishments of God are not gifts? Question mark. Do you really believe that? Colbert, yes, it's a gift to exist, and with existence comes suffering. There's no escaping that. Colbert continued speaking specifically about his father and brother's death. I don't want it to have happened. I want it to not have happened. But if you were grateful for your life, then you have to be grateful for all of it. You can't pick and choose for what you're grateful for. So what do you get from loss? You get awareness of other people's loss, which allows you to connect with other people, which allows you to love more deeply and to understand what it's like to be a human being if it's true that all humans suffer. I just talked to Bob Carlson. Some of you remember Bob. Bob came to our church for many years, faithful member of the church, and moved to New Hampshire and built a log cabin. He got prostate cancer, as, as I had prostate cancer as well. And uh, he sent me, he sent me a, a text this week. He's, he's got his picture at the cancer center with Joe Andruzzi, a former New England Patriot, with all his, and Bob's wearing all his Super Bowl rings. And uh, we, we talked about we, we talked on the phone this week about how he just went 44 radiation treatments. I had 39 after I'd had the prostatectomy. Then I had to go back, 39 treatments. He had 44. And, and we talked about how we found God in those treatments and how we found joy. And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking about that we went uh, demanding joy. It came to us. And, and I, I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you sitting in that room and waiting to go in for treatment and the people I talked to and the people I prayed with and, and what it did to my soul. I, I have a cliche. I say it all the time. I say I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't take a million dollars for what cancer taught me. But I wouldn't, take, I wouldn't give 15 cents to do it again. <laughs> hey, but problems aren't all there is. Okay? We've spent an inordinate amount of time today talking about suffering and problems and learning to see God in suffering and pain. Well, fortunately, problems aren't all there is, so don't forget just to count your blessings. But, you know, what about the, the normal? We're talking about problems, but what about the normal, the mundane, the routine? Life isn't all drama, thank God. Life isn't all tragedy and trials. Life is full of goodness. Just counting your blessings alone won't keep you in the Thanksgiving game all year long. But don't neglect it as a part of your strategy, all right? There, there are beautiful sunsets and beautiful sunrises. There's starlit's nights. There's, uh, there's nourishing and affirming intimacy with your significant other. And that's important. There's... Uh, concerts to go to there's movies that inspire you there's there's that baby that 
baby's first smile. There's uh, the taste of a good meal or a perfect cup of coffee. And th then, of course, there's all the acts of goodness and graciousness from fragile humans like yourself who sit all around you today and you've had their favor and I've had their favor. And even good people, strangers that I meet in stores and gas stations and, and uh, on the golf course, just good people everywhere I go. There's good people who are kind and, and who will do you a favor and want to help you out and, want to, and will say, God bless you when you sneeze. <laughs> They're all over the place. In spite of suffering, life is full of beauty and wonder. Don't, don't ignore that. Count your blessings, the song we sing, count, name them one by one. Praise the Lord, my soul, David said, and forget not all his benefits. One of the reasons that finding God in suffering is so powerful is that it will sharpen your sensitivities so that you will find him in the ordinary. You know, I, I found that going down there to Dana-Farber every day, every day for 39 days, I begin to see God in the little things. I begin to see God in the ordinary. You know, most human unhappiness, at least in the Western world, is not due to big trials and tribulations, but to our basic inability or unwillingness to be grateful for everything we have and an insistence on focusing on the flaws in our spouse, the flaws, that, that, that focusing on every cloudy day, every promotion or success that was given to another person that you wanted, every, every time your point of view wasn't considered. If you are wise, you will become a gratitude detective instead of a fault-finding, flawed-discovering expert. Some of you have a gift. <laughs> for finding something to be unhappy about something to not be grateful for I mean we talk about I, I preached about it last Sunday I talked a little bit about critical theory critical theory which has permeated our academia it, it's really, really what it, it, it has the right name because it's finding what to critique and criticize in every organization in every, every institution and in every group of people so I said last Sunday, if you were here, I said, I, I don't think God's people even know what critical theory is, most of them, but, but, but many of you have a low-grade critical theory fever. <laughs> it's not joy that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us joyful. Whining, worrying, wanting, Whatever you don't have are the three sins of actually blessed people. Let me say it again. Whining, worrying, and wanting. What you don't have are the three sins of actually blessed people. If you remove them from your life and adopt a lifestyle, it will transform you. You know, I started out talking about playing the piano. And I, an interesting thing has happened. You know, so I've been playing a little bit every day. Is... Uh, as you musicians will appreciate this, my ear for hearing chords is better than it ever was. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. Like, you, you, you know the Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting Over Fire? I could never figure that song out. 
And I play by ear. That's why my ears are all mangled. But, but <laughs> so if I can't hear it, I can't play it. And I sat down the other day, and, and that, that, that crazy song, uh, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, Jack Frost Nipping at Your Nose, just those lyrics, there are six chord changes. Now, we, we have whole worship songs that only have two. <laughs> that, that song moves constantly. And I could hear every change. You know, you know why? Because when you do something regularly, it transforms you. When you do it occasionally, you know, I worship, I go to church on Sunday. I spend a whole hour and 15 minutes, and sometimes Pastor Phil makes me say an hour and a half. I worship. Of course I worship. No, that's, that's doing occasionally. That's not regularly. Regularly is every day you go look in the paper. If you don't see your name in the obituary, you say, this is a good day. <laughs> By the way, did you know that ungratefulness is hatefulness? Bringing negative energy? Throughout your life is an act of aggression. Being thankful builds other people up. Being unthankful tears them down. Unthankfulness is a communication of your resentment. Thankfulness is a communication of your respect. We're going to pray in a moment. And I'm going to ask you to make a decision. I'm going to ask those of you who in this room, and you, you know who you are. You're good. You're a good person. You're probably, you, you, you may be, you know, sometimes cranky people are like the better people. They're really good people. They're just cranky. And, and sometimes I think they kind of go together. Because, because you just are frustrated that the rest of the world is not as good as you. <laughs> so you get, you get crabby. Because you feel like I'm doing this moral goodness thing all alone. <laughs> I'm carrying the whole load for the world. So you can become a very grim. Read my weekly wisdom if you didn't read it. And if you don't get it, make sure you get on the mailing list. I, I, I wrote my weekly wisdom. I wrote about culture warring. Culture warring and I, I, the title of it was being a happy warrior. <laughs> it's okay to fight the culture war, but don't be so grim. <laughs> We read the last chapter of the book and we win. <laughs> and you know, the humans that get the worst of your hate speech, you guessed it, is the people you love the most. <laughs> Those people that you love the most, they need your positive energy. So give it to them. You see, if Adam and Eve still ver reverberate in our, uh, if, if their sin, if Adam and Eve's sin still reverberates in our psyches, so does God kicking us out of the Garden of Eden. God temporarily declared us unworthy. However, that's not the whole story. He redeemed us by Christ's death on the cross and by grace declared us worthy to live in the Garden again. When you are thankful for and around the people in your life, you are reminding them that God found them worth saving. That they're, worth, that they're lovable and worthy by grace. 
And if that's not enough for you to ask God to teach you Thanksgiving is a lifestyle, not a holiday, then consider this. Praise and Thanksgiving are the only way to be consistently filled with God's Holy Spirit. And that is the key to the Christian life being a privilege and not an obligation. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your hearts. I propose to you that singing songs of praise is the path to being Holy Spirit filled. And the world needs all kinds of people. They need God's people doing a lot of good, righteous stuff. But they need us doing it with joy. Amen? I want you to stand. And I want you to consider asking God to give you an attitude adjustment if you need it. And probably most of us do. Probably most of us need, you know, you know how you have a, I want to ask the prayer partners to come get in place, by the way. You, you know how, uh, uh, if you have like a, uh, I have a dehumidifier in my basement. Every few months I have to go change the filter. Uh, I have a vacuum cleaner, of course, and every once in a while it's not, it's losing all its power. What's going on? Well, it's full of junk, full of dust. L life is like that. So, some of you, a lot of you probably need to change your filter. The filter that you view life through. The filter that you see life through. And you need to get, get, the, get, the, get, the, get the sadness out. Get the joylessness out. Get the ungratefulness out. And, inv and, and invite the Holy Spirit to come in with all His praise. The Holy Spirit who regularly hangs out at the throne of God. Regularly hangs out at God's throne room. So... The Holy Spirit, see, you know earth's headlines, and some of them are pretty grim, right? The Holy Spirit reads heaven's headlines, and they're pretty amazing and awesome. And if you get filled with the Spirit, you get full of heaven's headlines. So I want some of you really struggling with joy, I want you to come down and get prayed for. And let these wonderful prayer partners just pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit today. And... By the way, if you're not familiar with our prayer partners and what we do, this is altar time at Bethany Community Church. This is altar time. Everybody say altar time. This is altar time. So anything that you need prayer for, any need in your life, maybe, maybe you get hit by a truck this week and you just can't muster a praise. I, hey, I've been there. I've been there. I was there this week where I, I, I didn't have a praise. It, it was, I was stuck. And, and I can tell you the moment when I got my praise back. I can tell you the moment. I'm driving in my car, and I begin to, the tears begin to go down my face. And I begin to worship again. And I begin to praise God. Because I was looking for God all week in the problem, in the situation. And He was there. So come and be prayed for for anything that's going on in your life. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, please come. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let us be Spirit-filled people. And that spirit is a spirit of power and praise. So do it right now in the name of Jesus. Help that person who's been hit by the difficult, painful thing of life. A cancer a diagnosis, a divorce, a, 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 a child that's on, uh, on drugs. 
a, a relationship that's been broken, God, heal their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.